Romans chapter 8 this morning, if you would. We'll see everyone this morning. Bright and shiny outside, although it will not be like that from tomorrow. We enter into a Arctic phenomenon that's about to happen. Romans chapter 8 this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. We'll be looking at some other verses in Scripture, but uh, primarily we want to look through here. And I'm, I'm mainly going to harbor on verse 4. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. We talked a little bit about some of these verses uh, whenever we was going through Galatians a while back. I thought we would kind of revisit one aspect of them verses, particularly in verse 4. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, read down to verse 5, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, and that's something that we need to keep in mind, what the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Father, we come to you now, and we just thank you for another day that you've given to us, and another opportunity that you've put before us now to come. And we pray and hope that your Spirit being with us, will guide us into all truth and that you would give us the word of God and its understanding, Lord. We just pray that you would meet with us today to teach us, to convict us of sin, to show us Christ Jesus, to encourage us. Lord, we just pray that you would be with us today, that we might be honoring and glorifying to our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we need your help today. We need your your Son uh, to send the Spirit that we might be able to do these things. And so, Father, we just ask now that as we open up the Word of God that you might help and enable me to speak and minister this Word in truth. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear and understand. And, Lord, I pray that it is all uh, glorifying to you. For it's in your Son's name that we pray. It says here at the first verse, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. This uh, passage, as I've mentioned many, many times, is probably one of the paramount verses in the scripture to me that shows why breaking up the Bible into chapters and verses sometimes Not all the time. It's very helpful for us, especially for memorizing where things are. Uh, 
if we're, if you're good at that or God's given you the ability to do that, I seem to have a hard time remembering chapters and verses. I might be able to remember the verse, but the chapters, numbers and verses and stuff themselves, sometimes they elude me. But that sometimes, though, the chapters and verses cause more of a confusion than it does help. Okay? Um, whenever we read... These, as I've mentioned before, whenever we read these, these are the letters that were written to churches. And whenever you write a letter, you write, and you're writing in the flow of thought, right? Whenever you write to somebody, or you're texting somebody, or you're, you know, typing an email to somebody, or something like that, you have kind of a train of thought. You know, you, hey, how's it going? You know, whatever their name is. And then you'd start off with, you know, how, how have you been? Things are good. Our family's doing all right, blah, blah, blah. You kind of get the introductory stuff out. And then whatever it is, the subject matter to why you're sending this email or this text or this letter to somebody, you begin to start with the flow of thought and you begin to work your way through that flow of thought and you go down. Well, these letters were written to churches and as the Spirit give ability for them to write these things or to not just ability, but inspired this writing as the God words were being put to pen, this uh, was in a flow of, of thought. You know, there was a subject matter at hand. There was things that were to be said and there was a structure of why this is here. And so Paul, whenever he wrote to the Romans here, he's writing in the chapter break between 7 and 8 is unfortunate because right before that, Paul is struggling with the issue that he's not righteous in the flesh, that he is battling in the flesh the lust of the flesh, the the desire to try to keep the commandments of God, but not keeping them, sinning. <clears throat> but yet the inward man, who is perfect and holy and righteous, that inward man, he wants to keep and do the things and be righteous. He doesn't want to sin against God. But yet all the flesh can do is sin. It can't be righteous. It can't be holy. It can't be perfect. And so Paul is has this struggle, what we call the spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, according to the scriptures here, is not us out battling demons like the crazy charismatic churches on TV. Spiritual warfare is us having a warfare within us between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul was experiencing this battle between the flesh who wants to try to perform a righteousness in the flesh, but the spirit who is trusting and looking to Christ alone and that knows that I, there's no good in me, there is no righteousness in me, that I am, you know, uh, 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 filthy and wretched, no wretched man that I am, that's what he said there in, in Romans 7. And this battle here creates this struggle within the Christian. And the the flesh part of us wants to walk after the flesh and try to provide a righteousness of our own where the spirit man in us knows that the flesh cannot do that. And therefore the flesh is saying, look to Christ alone, that if you just trust Christ... And everything, he's provided that righteousness for you. Rest in what he has done. And so that battle between the flesh, who is sinful and can't do any good, and never can do any good, but wants to try to do it good, and provide it for himself, 
wars against the spirit who says, I don't need to perform a righteousness to be accepted and kept by God. Christ has done that for me, so there's that battle. And so whenever that comes to our mind, if the if we're looking at our flesh and not remembering what the Spirit is teaching us and telling us, if we look to the flesh, we can fall into despair because we see we're not measuring up. If, if you're truly a child of grace, God's going to give you the understanding that you're not keeping the law. I mean, that's just plain and clear. We'll see that here in a minute. We're going to read some verses that have to do with that. But <clears throat> walking not after the flesh means walking not after the law of sin and death or walking after trying to perform or keep a righteousness for myself. Walking after the Spirit is uh, walking after the law of the Spirit or walking after the law of faith, the law of Christ that says, just believe believe on me or walking uh, in, in faith in what Christ has done in providing your righteousness. So I'm not providing my own righteousness by the works of the flesh. I was provided a righteousness by Christ. And so that is the two different things. And we see that here in verse 1 uh, and verse 2 of chapter 8, which is, I mean, the, the, the consolation to the believer who is struggling in Romans 7, uh, the last part of Romans 7, like Paul, whenever we think, man, I need to be doing something, you know, because I'm not doing very good, right? The consolation is this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ Jesus, meaning united to Him, uh, whenever we were elected before the foundation of the world, God put us in Christ Jesus. He united us with Him before we were ever born, before we were ever created. He put us in Christ Jesus, and Christ became our substitute. We were united to Him uh, 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 eternally, vitally. We were truly His seed, uh, and and Him being our head and our substitute, Everything that he has accomplished, he has accomplished on our behalf. So it's counted for us. And so he's saying there's therefore now no condemnation. So for you who are thinking, man, my flesh just is is going away here and trying to perform a righteous, but every time I try to do it, I just keep failing, I'm coming up short. The Spirit keeps telling us look back to Christ because, listen, Yes, you're never gonna, you're never gonna perform your own righteousness, but there's no condemnation for that because you're in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has given you a righteousness, so there is no condemnation for you. So don't walk after the flesh or try to walk after the flesh. Walk after the Spirit. Look after what Christ has done and not try to look out for what you have, are trying to do to be accepted or kept or, or, uh, um, be uh, put up as righteous before God. And so he says, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after flesh but after the Spirit. And if you notice there in 1 and 2, uh, that to me there is the, the contrast here. The walk not after the flesh means the law is equal to the law of sin and death. If I walk after the flesh, I'm walking after the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the Mosaic Covenant, is the laws and the commandments of the, of the Bible. Whenever I'm trying to walk after the law, all it brings is sin and death. 
Every time, if I try to, if I try to keep the law, all I do is sin. And the and of course, the Bible has a lot to say about about sin. There's, you know, we have for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The the glory of God. All have sinned and come short, or have missed the mark of God's glory being perfect. Right. And so we see that walking after the flesh is walking after trying to keep the law for righteousness. And all have sinned in that department. Therefore, there is no one who is going to be justified by the law. The law has never been intended to make one righteous. Therefore, if you try to walk by the flesh in keeping the law for righteousness, it's always going to lead to death. It will always lead to death. And as we see here, Look at verse 3, for what the law could not do. The law could not provide a righteousness because it was what? Look at it there with me. Verse 3, in that it was weak through the flesh. The law is weak through the flesh. Now the law is righteous. The law is holy. The law is good. But it was never intended to make anybody righteous. That's That's not the intent of the law. The intent of the law is actually to expose the unrighteousness. It's just the opposite. Everyone thinks that the law is there for us to keep so that we might be righteous. But it's actually just the opposite. In Rome, as a matter of fact, just hold, hold your finger there. Turn with me just back a few pages to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, Moreover, the law entered, here it is, that the offense might abound. What offense is he talking about here? Well, if you look in context here of Romans chapter 5, the offense that's in this context is Adam's one offense. God said, don't eat of the tree. Adam ate of it. That was the deal. But if you look there, he said, the law entered, God give him the law for a reason. God God give man law for one reason and one reason only, and it wasn't to make him righteous. He didn't give Adam that law so that Adam, by his free will, could choose not to eat of that, therefore remain righteous before God. No, God's whole purpose of giving the law to Adam, and therefore, as Adam is our natural head, to all mankind, the reason God has given the law is to expose the fact that we are lawless people, that we are sinful people, that we are unable to keep God's law and therefore in need of a substitute to keep it for us. Looky there what it says in verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that, or so that, the offense, the sin, might abound. God gave the law so that the sin would spring forth and manifest itself. But he says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. See, there's the therefore, there is now. <laughs> See, where sin abounds in the life of the believer, in the fact that we are trying to walk after the flesh, and every time we do, we sin. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. If you're wanting to look at the abounding thing, look at the look at grace. It abounds more than sin. 
If we're if, if we're looking for something that abounds unto righteousness, don't look after the, the law. Look after the Spirit. Look after Christ. Where sin abounded and condemned men, grace did much more abound. Grace that has been given to us abounds more than sin. Sin is never going to be over grace to the child of grace. Okay? For the reprobate, sin is definitely abounding and sin will always abound and sin will take them to their grave and they will surely die. They will die. They will perish. But for the child of grace, the one who has been chosen by God, the one who has been put in Christ Jesus, the one who Christ has stood as their surety and their substitute and who came and lived the law and fulfilled the law and died and rose again on their behalf for their justification, that child of grace, there is no condemnation to them. Grace abounds more and more. So as much as you sin, grace covers it. Whenever we talk about the love of God covers all sins, the love of God, that word agape love, has a has a connotation to it of being a, 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 an expanding love. Meaning that as much as that love covers, no matter how much underneath it expands, it covers even more. I always think of, uh, and at some point it busts, but, so it's maybe not a great illustration of that. But I think of... You guys don't remember this, but Lori will remember this, and people watching may remember this. Maybe you do. Back when I was younger, you used to buy popcorn, and it came in this little aluminum skillet thing with a little handle on it and then a cover over it. And you put it on your fire, and you sit there, and you just kind of run it over the deal, and as it began to pop, the top of that thing just kind of expanded. That aluminum foil just kind of expanded with that popcorn inside popping. And where you had there just those little kernels down in there, as it popped, this thing just kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so as the popcorn yield began to get bigger and bigger and bigger, so did this aluminum foil. Well, that's kind of a picture of what God's grace, His love is. That no matter how much sin is being filled up in us, God's grace is abounding more. His love is covering all of our sin. And so we see here there, there is a consolation in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's why faith looks to Christ. Faith never looks to the law. Faith never looks to walking in the flesh Faith always is looking to what Christ has accomplished, not what we are enabled to try to perform. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't work in us to will and to do His good pleasure. That's the Bible, and that is truth, and He is doing it, and we should trust that as much as we trust that He hung on a cross and died in our place. But us performing righteousness through the flesh is not the same as trusting Christ's righteousness. What makes us accepted before God, what keeps us saved, what is going to be the theme of the song at the end of the ages, is not what we have done, praise the Lord by God's enabling, it's what He has done. The Bible is going to say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain 
Not worthy is the child of grace who by grace was enabled to fulfill the law. That's not what's going to be the theme of our song. The theme of our song is going to be grace, grace, marvelous grace. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. We're going to be singing that it is the Lamb, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And His glory is that He died for His people. Now look if you would, because that's just kind of getting into what the thinking is here on this transition from Romans 7 to Romans 8. But it says here, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin. So there is this other law, walking after the Spirit. If we walk after the flesh, which equals the law of sin and death, that's exercise the exercise of law-keeping for righteousness. But just the contrast to that is those who walk after the Spirit, which is equal to the law of the Spirit. If you'll see that in verse 2, the law of the Spirit, which is walking by faith in the work of Christ for righteousness. See, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What makes me free from the antagonism of the flesh, look back up in uh, Romans 8, uh, or excuse me, uh, Romans 7, In verse 23 it says, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin, which is in my members. See, there is a, a war in our mind, okay, that the law in my members, the law of the flesh, this desire to walk in the law for righteousness, provide my own righteousness, there's this war in my mind to walk after that, but then there's the war of the Spirit who is in me, in my mind as well, saying Christ has done it all. So there's that war that I was just talking about. But it says here that these two are contrary to other, and that it keeps us that we do not do the things that we want to do. We can't do them. The flesh can never perform what the Spirit desires. The flesh can never perform that. So if you walk after the flesh, you're going to be walking under the law of sin and death. But if we walk after the Spirit, or in the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit sets us free from the condemnation that we feel. There is no condemnation. Christ has, has taken care of anything that would condemn us, but in our mind we have the guilt of condemnation because we're not keeping the law, because we're not walking in a worthy manner. Now, brethren, with that being said, I'm trusting that Christ, is, again, is working and work, willing and working in me to do that which is pleasing in His sight. And that, you know, I'm not performing a righteousness, but I'm trusting that God is working everything out in me that He wants worked out. And it's a spiritual thing. It's not a flesh thing. It's a spiritual thing. So I'm not saying that we just can go out and live like hell, live however we want to live, and do all the sinning that we want to sin and just not worry about sin. The Spirit constrains us. The Spirit convicts us. We sorrow over our sins if we're a child of grace. But the fact is, is that this law of the flesh, or this law that it says here, uh, uh, of walking after the flesh, 
It wars against that spirit that wants to do right, but the spirit is telling us to rest here. And that's how we become free from the law of, uh, 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 the law of sin and death is by resting in the uh, law of the spirit, by looking to Christ for our righteousness. Now look at verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. So here we see that God, or that the, the law, couldn't make us righteous. Trying to keep the law didn't make us righteous. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. God made us righteous. But he didn't do it through us keeping the law. How did God make us righteous? That's the answer. How, what is the righteous requirement of the law that God, what is the, what is it that God requires? And how did God provide that for us? Or how did that happen for us? Okay? It says here, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now, the title that I titled the message is The Righteous Requirement of the Law. And we find that uh, in verse 4, that the, righteous, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. So what is that righteous requirement of the law that, that, is, that is pressed upon us? Because all the law can do is condemn us. It can't make us righteous. So what is the righteous requirement that God requires? Well, we know that the Bible teaches several things. And a lot of people take this that we need to do what we just talked about, walk after the flesh. Walk after that that desire and that walk after that uh, uh, that uh, righteousness of law keeping. That's what we need to do. But let's look at a few things here. In Hebrews chapter twelve, turn with me because I want you to read these things with me uh, as we look at them. Hebrews chapter twelve. Now let's look at verse fourteen. Here's something that the Bible says. It says, "Follow peace with all men and holiness." without which no man shall see the Lord. So without holiness, no man is going to see the Lord. That's pretty plain, right? So is that telling us you better get out there and start obeying the law? Because without obeying the law, you're not going to go to heaven. That's what a lot of preachers out there, that's what a lot of Lordship Salvation preachers like John MacArthur, Paul Washer, and Steve Lawson and guys like that that are out there saying that if you don't have this obedient lifestyle, then there's no righteousness there. See, they're saying that, yes, we believe that God has done what he did in Christ, but if you're not obeying the law, then there's no proof that you've... Brother, nobody can obey the law. <laughs> That's the problem. His preachers are pressing upon people to say, obey the law, obey the law. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't admonish one another and say, hey, scriptures say this, scriptures say this. But if we are out there pressing saying that you can't be saved if you're not keeping this, you're not saved if you're not making the effort of being holy, then you're not saved. We can't say those things, brethren. 
Because righteousness doesn't come by the law. The law, what the law could not do, and the fact that the flesh is weak, everyone's flesh is weak. But it says right here, it says, without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 5. This is the Lord Jesus speaking directly. He says in Matthew chapter 5, and I believe it's in verse 48. Yes, verse 48. It says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, would I be a good pastor, preacher, if I would say here, all right now, as we leave here today, go out and you got to be perfect. Go out and be perfect. Would that be good for me to do? If, I, if I'm here to tell you to go out and try to live perfectly, everyone in here and everybody listening and everybody watching is saying, well, we know that we're not going to be perfect. Nobody is going to be perfect. Nobody can be perfect. But you tr- you're out. You're, you're trying to. You try to do the best that you can. If you go out there and just do the best that you can, you got to try. You got to strive. You got to struggle. You got to mortify. You got to do all these things. I'm not saying that those aren't biblical terms of things to do, but we're talking about understanding biblically how this takes place, right? We are not made righteous by walking in the flesh. By walking after righteousness through the flesh. We're made righteous by Christ's finished work. Alone. And so whenever we hear admonishments like, Without holiness no man will see the Lord. Be ye perfect as I am perfect, or as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Whenever ye, whenever you hear these things, that isn't a charge for you to go out and try to start keeping the law. Again, it goes back to walking in that mind frame of walking in the Spirit. Look, if you would, at Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Remember, brethren, whenever you're looking at passages of scriptures, we need to look at what all of the scriptures say. Because if you look at one scripture that says, be perfect, be holy, and you think that you can by your work, or by, even if you think that you, by the Holy Spirit in you, enabling you to keep the works, you're still missing it. Because by the deeds of the law, no man's going to be justified, no man's going to be sanctified. By the deeds of the law, we are not accepted of God. We're not sanctified by God. Paul made that very clear in Galatians. He said, have you now begun in the Spirit? Are you made perfect by the law? No. But look at Romans 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is Christ. So we're not saved by law-keeping because all of sin, we fall short of the glory of God. Everything that we do is sin in the flesh. But we're justified by what? Freely. We're justified freely by grace. We're justified by grace 
but it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We also see in Romans where it says that we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace. We are justified by grace. It is given. It's a gift of God. It doesn't come from ourselves. But it comes through His faith. It comes through His righteousness. It comes through His perfect obedience, His death, His resurrection, not ours. So the Bible clearly says that none of us is perfect. Look at James chapter... Oh, that's a good one that I forgot that I was going to go to. That the Lord reminded me of this. James chapter 2. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So for that person that says, well, we know that you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. That's, Jesus isn't saying to be perfect. He did say that, didn't he? He said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He said, be ye holy as I am holy. Without holiness... No man will see God. Will get into heaven. What is holiness? Holiness is perfection. What is perfection? Hitting the mark. Not missing the mark. Whenever we talk about for all have sinned, the word sin, it means to miss the mark. The very term sin means miss the mark. It's a transgression. We didn't hit the bullseye. We missed. We sinned. For all have sinned. So here, there is absolutely, positively no man that has and no man can keep the law and God will not accept anything less than perfection, less than holiness, less than dead on. You gotta keep it all. Because he says right here, if you've broken it in one, you've broken all of them. So if you strive your whole entire life, if you could, if you strive your whole entire life, and you have kept every law, every time, all the time, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and at the very last you miss one, that would be like what they said. He's not saying to be perfect, but you need to do your best. Well, say you do your best your whole entire life, but you fall in just one area. Surely the Lord isn't going to look at that one sin compared to all the law that you kept your whole entire life. Well, the Lord says right here that if you've broken one, you've broken all of it because the 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 standard isn't almost hit the mark. It isn't just right under the bullseye. It's the bullseye. And the bullseye is... Be ye perfect as I am perfect. Be ye holy as I am holy. So the bullseye is Christ. You have to be as Christ. And I can tell you, I know that I have not been like Christ, and I know you haven't been like Christ, and there hasn't been nobody on this world like Christ except Christ. 
So that leaves us where? Where does that leave us if there is none righteous, no, not one, if there is none that's holy, that they have all together gone out and, and done their own thing, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, everyone that's sinning, there's none, none good, no, not one, that all of our righteousness is our filthy, filthy rags, meaning that they're unacceptable before God. They're not going to be accepted. God, our righteousnesses worked out in the flesh is not going to be acceptable to God. God's not going to say, okay, well, you did your best and you did what you could with what you had. That's not what God's going to do. What is the acceptance? Or what is it that God is going to accept? Perfection. Holiness. That's all God's going to accept. And anything else than that, the Bible says the wages of sin, the wages of missing the mark, the wages of not being perfect, not being holy is death. That's the two options. You're either perfect, holy, if you are, you shall see God. If you miss the mark, if you've sinned, death. You will perish. That's it. There is no middle ground. There is no gray area. There is no trying to work this thing out where there is a, a balance in between. No, there isn't. Be holy for I am holy. Without that holiness, no man is going to see God. And God is not going to justify the wicked. If you are wicked and you sin against God, you will perish. So what is the righteous demand of the law? Sin has to be condemned in the flesh. The wages of sin is death. The righteous requirement of the law is that sin be condemned in the flesh. That is what God said. That's what God said at the very beginning. If you sin, you're going to die. The wages of sin is death. But to be able to fulfill that righteous requirement, you have to be a perfect sacrifice. See, that's why, at least in my understanding, and I may be wrong about this, but as, as far as what light the Lord has given me, why there is eternal punishment to the reprobate is because that eternal torment or that eternal death or separation from God, that that is eternal because they can never fulfill the righteous requirement that's worthy. You have to have, be a perfect sacrifice to be pleasing to God. God said that the that the sacrifice has to be without spot or without blemish. So if you're going to pay for your sins by your flesh, if you think that you're going to provide righteousness by your flesh, and you're going to present yourself in the flesh to God for acceptance, it's never going to measure up. It's never going to measure up. It's never going to satisfy God. And that's why they perish eternally. That's why they are separated from God eternally. That they are thrown into fire and that they are, they are forever tormented in darkness. Away from God. Because the God will never be satisfied with that at all. There's only one thing that can satisfy God. 
And that is a perfect sacrifice. That's why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Cain's was a sacrifice from Cain's own hands. What Cain did. Cain presented unto God something of his own for righteousness, for acceptance, to worship God. Here's what I've offered to you by my own hands. But Abel, he didn't. He offered something that only God provided for him. A perfect lamb. Abel made his sacrifice to God. The, the sacrifice that God required, the sacrifice that God is only pleased with, and he provided that for his worship, for his for his atonement. And God accepted Abel's, but not Cain's. That's a picture of us. If we put forth our works in the flesh to make us accepted before God, God's not going to accept it. But if we put forth as our sacrifice, as our, as our hope, as our acceptance before God, a spotless lamb that was given to us on behalf of us, God accepts that. God accepts that. Look back in Romans chapter 8 if you would. So we know none of us is going to be perfect, right? None of us are going to keep the law. Why? Because what the law could not do is that it was weak through the flesh. You're always going to be weak through the flesh until you, until what Paul, look at what Paul said up there. Oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You're in a body of death. You cannot keep the law of God. But he says, who's going to deliver me from this law of death, or from this uh, body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus, not through the law, through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh all I can do is serve the law of sin, and that's all I'll ever be able to do is serve the law of sin through the flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that made me free from that. So my mindset, my, the knowledge that God has imparted to me through the Spirit indwelling me, giving me faith to look to Christ alone, to see, praise God, I'm delivered from trying to keep a righteousness of my own because my flesh is weak and cannot keep that law, but Christ has provided a righteousness for me. And so through the Spirit in my mind, through what I've been given knowledge of in the Spirit, I serve God, but I serve it through Christ Jesus. I serve God through Christ Jesus. When Christ served God, His faith was counted for my faith. His righteousness is counted as my righteousness. His obedience is counted for my obedience. I serve through the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that has made me free from the law of sin and death. <clears throat> he says there that God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. The righteous requirement of the law is being condemned, sin being condemned in the flesh. That's why Jesus had to come in the flesh. To be our substitute, He had to come in flesh. And He had to condemn sin in the flesh because it is us who in the flesh sin. In the Spirit, we don't sin. He didn't come in Spirit 
The Spirit doesn't sin. The Spirit is perfect and holy and righteous new creation from above and is created in pure righteousness and holiness. The Spirit that is above God, the Bible says, cannot sin. His seed dwells in us. That's the, the life of Christ which cannot sin. It's in us. Paul, the law that is in my mind, it's perfect and holy and just and righteous and it's contrary to the flesh. So, (laughs) Jesus had to come in the flesh to condemn sin in the flesh so that those who were in him could be counted righteous. Look what it says there. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. How do we fulfill the law of God? Is it by law keeping? Is it by obeying the commandments? Is it by striving hard to do right? Is it by pulling up our own bootstraps and getting that old law book out and start following them? Is it by hoping that the Spirit would work in me to fulfill the righteousness outwardly in my flesh? No, how do we fulfill the law and its righteous requirement through Jesus Christ? The righteous requirement was death. Jesus died for us. But the righteousness, he also fulfilled for us, which was obedience. He fulfilled that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Those of us who have the Spirit of God, that has already been fulfilled for us. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled. We don't have to die but guess what? We don't have to be perfect in the flesh because He was perfect for us. So whenever the Bible says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye perfect, for I am perfect. Without holiness, no man is going to see God. It's not speaking of us in the flesh. It is speaking of the fact that make your mind set. Walk in the Spirit. Keep your mind set on these things. Rest in Christ that you are perfect. That you are holy. That there is no condemnation. That you will see see God because Christ, who is your righteousness, as we're fixing to see, has made you perfect. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I just quoted that, but let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. I think we actually looked at this verse last week in our other message. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. It says, but of him, speaking of God, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, meaning in our place, in our stead, for us, Christ, who come from God, sent by God, God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness. Christ is made unto us, or in our place, righteousness. We don't make our own righteousness. Christ was made righteousness for us. Made unto us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Brethren, our righteousness is not in what we do, but what in Christ is done. 
It isn't living a moral life. It isn't living uh, in obedience to scriptures. Although we exhort and admonish one another, you know, to follow the word of God. But that's not where our righteousness comes from. That's not where our acceptance comes from. That's not where our keeping. That's not where our perseverance comes from. There's a few other scriptures that, that I want to point out on this. Look at Isaiah chapter 45. This was actually, I added this to my notes uh, this morning because it was in, in a reading that I was reading uh, this morning in Isaiah 45. And it's at the, uh, uh, it's almost at the end, or at the end of the chapter there. In Isaiah 45, look at verse 24. It says, Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness. In the Lord I have righteousness. In myself, I have nothing but dirty rags. But in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Listen, that's not talking about a physical seed. It's talking about a spiritual seed. It's not, not talking about people over in Israel in, in a little part of the Middle East. It's talking about the people of God spiritually, the elect of God. All those, whether Jew or Gentile, who have been in Christ Jesus from the foundation of the world, whose names were written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, whose names are inscribed upon the stones and upon the breastplate, the ones whose names are written in His hand, those from all language, nation, tribe, tongue. That's who it's talking about. The seed of Israel shall be justified not in the law, but in those who is the righteous, or the one who is righteous. <clears throat> there, look also, if you would, at uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I don't know why I was looking at that in the Old Testament. Looking for that in the Old Testament. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 28. Colossians <laughs> chapter 1, verse 28. It says... Whom we preach, speaking of Christ, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So was Paul out there teaching everybody and making them perfect? See, a lot of people believe that, you know, the more you listen to preaching and the more you listen to read your Bible, the more you pray, the more you do all these acts of religious things, and those things are good. I'm not down on that, and I'm not saying they're not important, and that God has ordained for those things to be a part of our lives and for our encouragement and edification. But Paul is not saying that we can make somebody perfect to the level of meeting God's standard for righteousness, being the righteous requirement of the law. The righteous requirement of the law is that sin be condemned. It's not you being holy in your flesh. It's that your flesh be condemned. Jesus did that for us. So that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. So that it might be fulfilled in us. Okay? So, 
Every man being made perfect. So whenever he says here, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Meaning, what was Paul preaching? He was preaching that you are perfect in Christ Jesus. You are holy in Christ Jesus. You're not holy in keeping the law or in your great knowledge. The Greeks, they, they were all about the knowledge. The more knowledge you had, the better person you were. The Jews was all about the law. If you keep the law, you are righteous. So whether it be the Jew or whether it be the Greek, we're not saved by law-keeping. We're not saved by knowledge. We are saved by Christ Jesus. And listen, this is where this is where we find Christians, even sovereign grace people, fall on one of those two lines. They either think that we are saved by doing something of the law and kept by doing something of the law, or that we are saved by what we know or by what we believe, and that we are kept by what we know or what we believe. That's not how we're saved. That's not how righteousness is given to us or is performed for us, by us. It is only by Christ. It's what he did objectively outside of me, historically in time, one time, for all time, for all people. He died and he did this corporately for every child of of God It doesn't happen. He didn't make salvation possible. And now sporadically throughout time, whether Old Testament, New Testament, whenever someone believes on Him, then all of a sudden the effect of that cross now is transferred to them and now they get it. That's not how salvation works. Salvation was already determined for the foundation of the world and was imputed to the children of grace. But Christ, having come in time, at the appointed time of the Father, came to make that payment, the righteous requirement of the law, the condemning sin in the flesh that had to take place. And whenever he did that, that was the basis for what God had purposed before the foundation of the world to be imparted, or excuse me, imputed to all of his people. That righteous requirement, (coughs) even though before the foundation of the world, was viewed in God's sight and applied in his uh, judgment, It had to take place, but it was that work of righteousness that Christ had done that became the righteousness of all these people. It was that. It isn't happening in time as we are spread out over all these millennia. It isn't happening whenever you repent and believe. That's not when you get saved. You got saved in Christ Jesus. You got saved whenever He became your surety, whenever He became your substitute, whenever God declared His righteousness is yours. That's when you were saved. By the shedding of blood, that is why you are saved. So we are made perfect, not by things that we do in time, but by what Christ has done. Look at 1 Corinthians. Well, we already looked at 1 Corinthians 1.30. That's just a reiteration. Look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11 and verse uh, 50. Caiaphas, who was the high priest, said something uh, when it was talking about Jesus. Said something. I don't even know if he knew what he was talking about. If he did know what he was talking about, I know that a lot of these Pharisees, they realized who Jesus was. They had an inkling that this could be the Messiah because he's fulfilling all the things that 
said Messiah was going to be doing. And Caiaphas, whether or not he was, you know, saying this just, you know, off the hip or what, I don't know, don't think it was, but it definitely was ordained of God that he said, and it was truth that he said. But look what he said, verse 50. Matter of fact, let's just back up so you can get the context. Verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Now this is right after Lazarus had been raised to life. Okay, Lazarus had been dead four days. Jesus raised him from the dead. And they went to the Pharisees and told them. said, Then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, What do we... For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. See, they weren't worried about righteousness. They weren't worried about holiness. They weren't worried about salvation. They weren't worried about their Messiah. They weren't worried about... They were worried about their status. They were the leaders of the people. They were respected by the people. Now listen, there's a lot of preachers that fall in the same thing. They're worried about losing their position if they... Speak the truth. If you speak the truth, and listen, brethren, I can tell you as a pastor who preaches these doctrines that are hard for people to listen, and listen, not popular among modern Christianity, among modern Gospels. Listen, there's persecution that comes with that. There's loneliness that comes from that. There's ridicule. There's separation, division that comes whenever you stand for Christ and His Gospel, the true Gospel, even among your own family. That happens, and it's lonely. Sometimes it's it's heartbreaking in the in, in in the flesh because you don't have the fellowship that you maybe once had. You don't have the relationship that you once had. You don't have the spiritual fellowship with each other that you would like to have. They were worried about their place, and preachers are worried about their status. Hey, we're going to lose our. Hey, we're going to, if we listen to this guy and all these people start following him, they're going to quit listening to us. He's saying salvation is in him. We're saying salvation is in the law of Moses. And we are the ones who teach them the law of Moses. Kind of sounds like another religion that's out there, right? Sounds like the Catholic Church. Hmm, I wonder if the Catholic Church by some extension came from the Pharisees. You might want to look that up for those listening. Because I think that you're on to something if you do. <clears throat> the Roman Catholic Church, for many years, wouldn't allow anybody to have the Bible. The priest was the one who told you. And even today, there's a lot of people that the priest is the one who tells us what that is, what that means. The Pope, they say, is the vicar of Christ, that he is the representative of Christ on earth. That he is Christ on earth. And that whenever he sits and speaks ex cathedra or speaks in the place of Christ, that what he says is the speakings of God. And they're infallible. Although there have been popes down, down throughout history who has contradicted each other. Don't see how they can be speaking as God, because God doesn't contradict himself. But here they put themselves up above everybody. They're the ones who control what everybody knows. They're the ones that say, if you don't keep up this thing, then you're going to go to hell. The law keepers say, if you don't keep the law, you're not going to be saved. 
But you got to come to us so that we might teach you the law and so that you might see the law enacted in us. We'll be your example. See, they said, if all these people begin to believe on Him, we're going to be taking away both our place and our nation. We're going to lose everything that we got. We're going to cease to exist. We're not going to be here no more. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider it is expedient for us, that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perisheth not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one children of God that were scattered abroad. See, I just was talking about uh, that, it, that in Isaiah, this, this, the, uh, the seed of Israel will be justified. Well, this is what we're talking about here. In the New Testament, it says, it's not just for that nation, Israel, but it's for all the children of God that were scattered abroad. But see, Caiaphas was right. It was expedient that one man should die for the whole nation so that the whole nation wouldn't die. This comes back to what we're talking about. The righteous requirement of the law is that sin be condemned in the flesh. But God, in His infinite wisdom and His grace, instead of having every one of us die for our own sins, sent Jesus to die for us. And so instead of God condemning sin in our flesh, He condemned sin in Christ's flesh, but counted it for us for righteousness. So the righteousness is fulfilled in us. Romans chapter 8. We're just about done. A couple more verses here. Again, Romans chapter 8, where we were. <clears throat> the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled <coughs> in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Those whose eyes and minds are fixed on Christ, walking in faith, Christ <laughs> Jesus. So Jesus became our substitute. He became our righteousness. In uh, Romans chapter 8 there he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Those who are still in the flesh, they continue to work the works of the flesh. They continue to search for righteousness and acceptance for God through the flesh. But those who are of the Spirit, they do mind the things of the Spirit. Or to be carnally minded, that's the same thing as saying fleshly minded. For to be carnally minded is death. So he said, again, he's reiterating the fact, if you follow this course of trying to keep law for righteousness, it's going to lead to death. Because the righteous requirement of that law is that sin be condemned in the flesh, and you can do nothing but sin. So if you continue in that way, the only thing that's going to be written on your record is not righteousness, but sin. 
And so the only way that you're going to be made perfect and see God is that the righteous requirement of the law be met. You are going to have to die. But because you're not perfect and spotless, your death will be eternal. It will not be sufficient. You will not be resurrected. Jesus, who was the spotless lamb, his death was effectual. It was satisfying to God. It was a perfect, spotless, holy sacrifice. Therefore, God, whenever he died, he accepted and he was pleased. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that, that his death was uh, satisfying to God. That he saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Christ dying, the righteous requirement of the law was acceptable to God. Why? Because he was perfect and spotless. Therefore, God raised him from the dead. He didn't have to die eternally because God said that's a perfect sacrifice. That was a perfect sacrifice in the place of my people. It was enough. How, how, how Christ did that, how Christ was... Other than it being perfect and spotless, I don't know how Christ was able to fulfill all the righteous requirement of the law and condemning sin in the flesh by dying and how that death is enough to satisfy God. That's God's judgment. He's the righteous judge. He's the one that said, this is the payment. Christ fulfilled it. We just say, thank you. We say, thank you that he did it for us. And we trust that that's it. That's enough. If God's a sad, listen, brother, let, let, I, I don't know how else. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to persuade or convince as far as outwardly the spirit will do that if he so desires to do that in your heart. But what I'm trying to say is this, what more do we need than the promise of God of saying, I am satisfied with what Christ did on your behalf. Therefore, I'm laying that to your account. You're righteous because he was righteous. You are righteous. Already, full, full, complete, total, nothing more to, needed. But we don't trust that, do we? Because we walk after the flesh. We continue to go back and walk after the flesh. Brethren, the righteous requirement of the law is not walk after the flesh, but it's to look to the one who condemns sin in the flesh. And it's been condemned. And therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Him. To those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no more condemnation. Whenever I sin, I haven't lost something. Christ didn't sin for all my past sins, and now i got to keep track of all the ones future. Otherwise, I'm going to have to pay for those at, the, at some future judgment seat of Christ. No, 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 no. The judgment seat of Christ is the cross. Did Christ pay for my sin? If He did, He's paid for all of them. Because he paid for the sins of all the elect of God at one time. So all the sins of all the elect was taken care of once for all. And he entered into that heavenly throne room with his blood. And that blood was enough for God, for all his people, for all their sins. So all my sin that I will have done, done in the past, doing right now, doing in the future, no matter how many I accumulate, they've all been taken care of. Once for all. And there's no condemnation for those. Now that's not to say, hip hip hooray, let's go live up in sin. I'm not saying that. I'm saying rejoice in the Lord and be glad that your sins have been covered. 
Because great is our sin. Our flesh cannot keep righteousness. So God has sent His Son on our behalf. Brethren, that's the Gospel. The Gospel is Christ, is our righteousness. And He has performed the righteous requirement of the law that we might fulfill all righteousness. Alright, does anybody have questions? Comments? Amen. Alright, let's pray. Father, what a great joy it is to know that we have been saved. And we pray that your Spirit, as you have promised, will bear witness with our spirit that we are yours, adopted of God, children crying out, Abba, Father. And we say this morning, thank you for this salvation. But Father, not only is it a great joy to know and experience this through faith, it's a great joy to be able to stand here and preach this to your people. Father, it's with great confidence that we can stand and say to every child of grace that if you be His, there is no condemnation for you. That though your sins be as scarlet, He has washed you white as snow. Though ye have walked away and walked in the flesh time after time after time, missing the mark, missing the mark, that He has become unto us Wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. What a great privilege it is to stand and be able to say this, Lord. And I know that it's not anything that is in me, that I am no different than anybody else, and that I am a sinner in need of Christ. And it's only by God's calling, it's only by, by God's enabling, it's only by, by the Spirit's giving utterance that I can even proclaim these truths if they be true. Father, we are grateful and we are beholden to you for every aspect of everything in our lives. We need you. We need grace. But Father, we, we truly, truly are thankful for Christ and his salvation. And I pray today that if there's any here today that are yours, that you've yet to grant faith, repentance to, Lord, that today that you would grant that to them, that they might believe upon you. And Lord, that they might trust you for their salvation that they might be in obedience to your command to follow after uh, you in baptism be baptized they might confess before men Christ Jesus Lord not to be saved we know that salvation doesn't come in water baptism but we know that you've given that as an ordinance to proclaim our faith in what Christ has done on our behalf to show that we have been united with Christ in his death, that we've been raised to newness of life, walking in the Spirit, trusting in Christ alone, and repentant from dead works of trying to gain righteousness through our flesh. Father, we know that that is what you've asked us to do, and so we pray, Lord, that your people, that you have called to you by your name, that you've granted repentance and faith, would follow that, ordinance and that Lord that we would add them to the church and that they might become a vital member of that local assembly that you might grant them Lord the gifts of the spirit to be able to edify the body to be uh, an encouragement one to another Father 
and the proclaiming of the gospel. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in this day that we have together today. We pray that you would be with us this week as we leave, that you would keep us safe. And we pray for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the end of all things. We ask, Lord, that you just might come quickly. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.